0: Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box Podcast with Cam Conner. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Hello, everyone. Podcast number 34. I can't believe the summer's over. Hockey's already started. Chris and I are excited to go back and start our podcast again this season.
1: So it's the start of season three. This will be your third year where you make a prediction to see who you think's going to do well, who will win the cup. Your first prediction, you did really good. You predicted Vegas and they went all the way to the finals. And then uh, you predicted Tampa Bay, I believe, and uh, they got out first round. So at the end of the podcast, you'll make your, your big prediction. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we wanted to thank everyone who, even though we weren't podcasting over the summer, you still left reviews on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. And we thank you very much for that. And if you haven't left a review, we'd really appreciate it. You guys are our biggest ambassadors for the podcast. And we're trying to get other people to listen and to hear because I think my dad's stories are pretty special. And if someone's a big hockey fan, especially classic hockey from the 70s and 80s, I think they would enjoy the podcast if you want to send in a question, we have a few questions today that we'll get to. You can always email viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. And, Dad, you're on all sorts of social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, at CamConnerNHL. You're on Instagram. We have a website. So make sure you follow and check us out because we are committed to having more episodes than last year. So that's where you'll find out where... <laughs> Dad's laughing. We <laughs> are. We are.
0: We're going to do more than last season.
1: I don't know about that, but... Well, I've said it, so now we're we're committed. So, yeah. So, that's where you can take a listen and make sure that uh, we're, we're sticking to our word and send us in some questions, some topic ideas. We also have merchandise. I know that you, I believe you put it on Twitter, a picture of little five-year-old Hudson wearing our View from the Penalty Box hat. And it actually, it's a pretty nice hat, so if you want to help support the podcast, you can always check out viewfromthepenaltybox.com slash merch, and uh, there's a whole bunch of different things with uh, View From The Penalty Box on it. So we will start with what you thought of St. Louis Blues winning the Cup. I know we were planning to do one more episode uh, in June when they actually did win the Cup, but it seemed like... Every other week, either you or I were traveling and unavailable. So now it feels like it's been like half a year, which it almost has been since they won the Cup. But I'm sure people are still interested to hear your thoughts on on how that went down.
0: You know, it's pretty tough to predict who's going to win after two games this season. You know, after 10, 15 games, you kind of see the team shaping up and you can get an idea of, Who's going to be stronger this season and who's going to be coming near the bottom? You know, last year I did predict Tampa Bay and I don't think anybody was more disappointed than the Tampa Bay franchise themselves to be eliminated in the first round when you have such an outstanding season. Seasons. I I, I do believe that uh, for whatever reason, when they lost in the first round last season, i believe that uh, any of the returning players are gonna just tell themselves that will not happen again it was disappointing uh, for them and for me the hockey first round is that's my that's my favorite is the first round of the playoffs of hockey it is outstanding because you can get a low-level team beating a top-notch team and you know tampa Bay losing that's that's exactly what i'm talking about so this Oh, by the way, last year when Tampa Bay did get eliminated, I did say St. Louis Blues would take it now. So it was my second chance, but I got the second one right. This year, again, I don't have much to go on. Uh, When I look at uh, some of the teams that I'm more familiar with, a lot of the teams, they know they have to improve, especially the ones that didn't make the playoffs. So when you look at Edmonton, and that's probably the team that uh, I see the most, they made their moves from a new GM, a new coach. These are proven. This is not like a Dallas Eakin who you bring out in left field who, play, who coached in junior. These are these are proven commodities, and I believe that Tippett is going to do an outstanding job here. He didn't have much as far as money. The team you know, was way below the salary cap, but his team always did well. So there is absolutely no reason why Mr. Tippett should not carry over that success with this hockey team. And, uh, you've got a good core group of players with the Oilers, and uh, you know they've made some key key acquisitions, and uh, who's to say they're not going to make any more? Bottom line is, if you're going to win, whether it's during a regular season or a playoffs, bottom line is goaltending. Nothing more important than goaltending. When people ask me, how are the Oilers going to do? Well, It all depends. If those goalies are stopping pucks, they're going to have a real good year. If they're struggling in the net, that's the kind of year that they're going to have. So, when I make my predictions at the end of this show, I'm going to tell you who I believe is going to, you know, represent Canada or go the farthest with a, you know, for a Canadian team. And I'll also give you my predictions for winning the Stanley Cups overall. So, that'll be at the very end.
1: So something that happened at the end of summer was that your father passed away, my grandpa, and I know you've mentioned him a few times on the podcast, so some people are familiar with him. Every year you would post photos on social media uh, because he did reach 99 and you were really proud of him. So I thought uh, maybe you would want to share a bit of um, memories on grandpa and what he meant to you and hockey.
0: Thank you Chris I don't know really everybody, you know, your own father is the most important hopefully um, and your mother and so most of you don't know my mom or dad and so it's probably just important to me but I do want to say thank you for all the communication whether it's through Twitters or emails or what have you that there was a lot of people that reached out and sent their condolences. And you don't know how much that means to myself and to Chris. With You don't know my dad, but you reached out to me, and, and it it was noticed, and it was appreciated. And so dad's in a better spot now. He had a great life, 99 years. And uh, without him, you know, always hear when somebody dies, you talk about what a good person is give you the shirt off his back. With my dad, I can honestly say without him, I really don't believe I would have made pro sports. Um, I did pretty well in football and baseball. But because my dad, he always made me practice and I enjoyed it, but he made me practice and by practicing more than the next guy, I just got better and better. And my mental attitude, I mean, I wasn't afraid. So I was able to be physical, but again, Getting, you know, talking too much here, but Dad, you know, love you, and uh, we'll see you in the afterlife.
1: So on a more positive note, uh, one of your good hockey friends is actually competing right now on Survivor. It was taped, but they're they're airing it right now. So I believe two episodes have aired uh, with Tom Laidlaw. So you don't really watch the show, or you did and you haven't for a long time, but you're making sure that you watch. This season, do you have any thoughts on one of your old pals playing
0: Survivor? And what are your thoughts? Survivor, I think I watched it. I think I heard it. It's been on 30 plus years. I think I watched it in, in you know, in the beginning, but I've shied away from watching it. But when I heard my good friend Tom Laidlaw was on it, sparked an interest. And if you know Tom Laidlaw, you know, I knew him through... through The Ranger organization, when he was a rookie, I kind of, well, it's not only me. Everybody likes Tom, you know, and I I like Tom because how do you not like somebody that walks around with a smile and is always happy? He's not a negative person whatsoever. And I just wish I would have got to spend more time with Tom. Unfortunately, I got sent to the farm team. But, you know, Tom, just by being Tom, I would learn from other people. Just how to be a better person. So, and then, you know, Tommy went to Allie too, and we've stayed in touch. So, when I heard he was in Survivor, obviously I started paying attention. And, uh, you know, you can't just go there and just try to be yourself, or you got to have a plan. And I can see Tom is an outgoing guy, and he likes talking to people, he likes talking to people about themselves. But I see Tom, he's just kind of hanging in the weeds there. You know, there's some people that got kicked out early and they were the ones that, you know, were trying to be the leaders and, you know, organize everybody. And I think Tom is playing the game the right way. Do I think he's going to win? Absolutely. I think he's got as much chance as anybody. But, you know, there's, what is there, I'm going to say, 18 contestants. There's quite a few. To predict who's going to win it, that's pretty hard. But I, I do believe that Tom has as good a chance as anybody because he's a smart guy, and he's not going to be putting his foot in his mouth. And I think um, he's just staying below the radar, so I expect him to go quite far.
1: And he's actually in really good shape for 60 or 61, uh, so he's not seen as a liability. And it's interesting, because he didn't join up with the alpha males like you would think an ex-hockey player would. He kind of joined up with the outcasts, uh, which is kind of smart, so... We'll, we'll, we'll kind of keep track and see how he does. So you're predicting he does pretty well?
0: Yeah. You know, all I'm saying is if Tom wins it, I wouldn't be surprised. And if he goes a long ways, I wouldn't be surprised. Because, you know, Tom, uh, he he thought about what he needed to do and how he had to go about accomplishing going as far as he can. And I think so far in just two episodes... I think he's staying below the radar, and I don't think he's made any enemies yet.
1: So we'll go to one of your stories, since I'm sure people are saying, uh, where's a fighting story? So you mentioned one today about a hockey fight that you had in another team's dressing room. So if you want to talk a little bit about that, it was pretty interesting.
0: Well, I got to go back to uh in junior, when I played junior, in about 73, 74, 72, right in that area, Philadelphia Flyers had the Broad Street Bullies. And if you know hockey in the history, they were tough, tough. There's probably, I'm going to just say, four to six guys on that team that were there pretty well just for fighting. And uh, it was a guerrilla warfare. And if you went in there with your team, and you're the only one that fought, it was a long, scary night playing the Flyers. So, in junior, it was rough, rough hockey. And I've mentioned before, in junior, I averaged about a point and a half a game. A game. I played 62 games, I believe, and I got just under 400 penalty minutes. And I and I also think I was like fifth in the league that year. Like it was crazy rough hockey. But, I think what Chris is talking about, I just, you know, when we, we go to do a podcast, I, I've got to say to him, Chris, we already talk about this. Hey, when you do 34, you're not going to remember the first many. So Chris has got a better memory than me. And he'd say, Dad, you already talked about that. So I was asking him today, and I was telling him the story about me and Flint Flon. So where he's going with this is, so... I got a two-game suspension, and as I've told people before, in flint-flon, my first eight games, I had no points and 82 penalty minutes and a two-game suspension. And what that suspension was, was, you know, back in those days, I told you I hung around with Roddy Piper, and we, I'm sure there was tougher guys around, but, you know, we were pretty tough ourselves, and unfortunately, street fights followed us, and, uh, I wasn't afraid to street fight, so which carried over into hockey. I wasn't afraid to hockey fight, and you know, you never know if you know how to fight. You just start swinging. When I was 19 in Flint, Flon, I was, you know, I wish I was a way Gretzky scored a lot of goals, but you know, you have whatever ability, and so I could fight. And I never will run or I don't think, you know, that I, I, I don't believe it. Maybe somebody else will differ, but I don't think I was a punk. There was punks out there just jump you from behind. I never did that. I would square off with you and, and meet you face to face. I would not jump you from behind. Or like Tiger Williams. You know, he'll go in the corner, and you don't even know you're fighting, and he's already swinging. He's got his gloves off. So I, I didn't do that. And this guy was trying to get at me, and I was trying to get at him on the ice. And uh, back in those days, I could look at you, and yeah. I just could see in your eyes. I, I really could I could I could beat him. I know I could beat him. No doubt about it. So this guy was one of those guys who was playing a role like he wanted to go after me, and maybe he did. But I was getting pissed myself and uh, we couldn't get at each other. We both got kicked out of the game. So the game continued and I'm in the dressing room and he went to his dressing room. And I had a short trigger back then. I still had my skates on, all my equipment, and I just said, piss on it. I'm going after this guy. So I walked over with my skates on into his dressing room. It was just him and I. And I beat him up in his dressing room. He's had a good fight. and I didn't think he, you know, he didn't think I was going to walk over there. Neither did I think that. But, you know, quite a few times in my life, it's I just did things spontaneously. So I never paid any price for that, thank heavens. But. Quite often in my life, I acted first and thought later, this might have been one of those times when, you know, shouldn't have gone over there, but I did, and I did beat him up. So the league gave me 2 games suspension, and as I've told other people, in today's world, if I was to do something like that, you'd get life pretty well, or 40 games suspension, like two games, you know, that's unheard of today. So that was the story that uh, Chris asked me to, to talk about.
1: And speaking of fights, you had someone on Twitter, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the account's name, who mentioned that uh, a Winnipeg sports reporter Bob Holiday mentioned in his Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame induction, he talked about how you would fight Paul Baxter all the time and you would win. Do you have any uh, thoughts on on that comment? Yeah. How, how tough was Paul
0: Baxter? Yeah, Tom, uh, Paul Baxter was pretty tough. So in our Manitoba Junior, um, so it's not a Western Hockey League, it's Manitoba Junior, which I call it Tier 2. Again, it was in that era where it was tough hockey, and Paul Baxter was on a team called Winnipeg Monarchs, I believe, and he would run around, and he made the National League. He was in coaching. He had a way better career than me, I can tell you that. So, Paul, he would—he was one year younger than me, and he would run around, and our big guys were afraid of him. And, and again, I'm not a Superman here, but I can look at Baxter in my mind. I, I knew I could take him. Well, Paul didn't know, you know, that he couldn't take me. So, over two seasons that we played against each other, I would guesstimate that we had seven day fights. And every time he instigated, he'd say, let's go. And I'd say, well, if you want to, you've never hit me once in all our fights, so I don't mind beating you up. But So he would try and try and try and try. I think I was, the, at that time, the toughest guy in Manitoba Jr., but Baxter was number two. But there wasn't any comparison between myself and him. And, and again, he had a better hockey career, so I'm not sitting here bragging about myself. I'm just saying the facts, so. So, yep. So, he, so the Bob Holiday in his speech, I think he was a reporter that used to go to the games. And for whatever reason, I think Bob, uh, I don't know why he brought it up, but yes, that is true. I used to fight uh, Paul Baxter quite a bit, but only because Paul had a lot of guts and he kept coming back for more. Do you know what Paul
1: Baxter is up to now?
0: You know, I don't know. I, I heard he lived in the States, but I also have heard that uh, Paul, he's had a lot of concussions. I've had my share. He's had a lot more than me because he would cause shit with some big, tough boys and then he turtle. And these guys would punch him. And I think he got a lot of punches to the head. I mean, not talking like a boxer, but I have been told that, and Paul, if you're listening and I'm wrong, please let me know. But I've been told that those concussions have caused a lot of problems and grief in his life. So I wish you well, Paul.
1: So we have
0: a question uh,
1: sent to you over email from Eric. And he writes, greetings from Tokyo, Japan. Did you ever think you'd have a listener in Japan? No, I,
0: I never thought about it, but this is the first
1: And so he writes, uh, I grew up in Westchester County, New York in the 80s, and I attended Don and Dave Maloney's summer youth hockey school in New York. Uh, Do I remember that you were an instructor there, or did you give guest lectures? Uh, The early 80s were a fun time to be a Rangers fan, and I loved meeting my heroes as a 10-year-old. Look forward to the next podcast. So is that you? Did you give guest lectures? Did you... uh Were you an instructor?
0: You know, I honestly can't say yes or no. When you play pro, I had my own hockey schools. I did a lot of hockey schools for other players. We're always asked to go speak, whether it's at a hospital or different kids' functions. And I really do believe that I was pretty lucky in life. And if I could bring some smiles to some kids' faces by showing up, um, I, I certainly would. And I hope all the other guys feel the same way. And uh, just for the record, I don't know, Chris, if you want me to talk about it, but I was in the Oilers dressing room uh, last week. And uh, whew, let me tell you, it's unbelievable dressing There's not even a close second in the, in probably the world. That might be pretty bold, but. You just can't even believe what their dressing room looks like. And uh, so they brought the other's alumni in. And, uh, you know, I've already been in there, so I didn't have to do a full tour. Um, So they have a lounge area where the players get fed every day after practice. And, you know, it's probably more beneficial for the single guys. As I know, back in our days, we would maybe go for a steak sandwich and buy beer. And, you know, I don't think it's the same way anymore. so but they want to make sure that these guys are healthy and they're eating the right foods so there's people that prepare their food so anyways I you know with the alumni we were allowed to sit there and eat and when the guys finished the practice they came in and Nugent Hopkins he sat next to me I've I met him and did some functions with him before but we started talking about when I played for the Oilers the kids on my street they all knew the young kids knew that I played for the Oilers and. Uh, They used to come over all the time and ring my doorbell. And I apologize if I've mentioned this before, but I'm going somewhere with it. You know, they come over and ask me to come out and play road hockey. And I 100% believe we have a duty. It's not in your contract. It's a duty for these young kids to go out there and play road hockey and just make their day. And this is something that they'll talk about probably for the rest of their life. So when I was talking to Nugent Hopkins, I'd asked him, I said, have you gone out and played any ball hockey or street hockey with the kids? He goes, you know, what? I would love to, he said, but there's no no kids on my street playing ball hockey. And I said, well, why don't you, when you're driving home one day from practice, and if you happen to drive by a ball hockey game or a street hockey game in the street, maybe you ought to just pull over and walk out with your stick and just ask, hey, do you mind if I played with you guys? You know, it'd be like an oh-wow moment for those kids. And he said, you know, I would love to do that. So I uh, I like that attitude because he's all about the kids as well. doesn't matter how much you make, he's got the right attitude. So, Nooch, I hope you do that and you let me know. So we have another question, and
1: it's from Michael, and he emailed as well. And it's uh, uh, quick and to the point. He wrote, what is the grossest or dirtiest arena you've played in?
0: Well, uh, I, well, in a minor league level, it would be in Tulsa. It was called the Ice Palace, and and we never practiced there. There like, was no ice for us, only for the game day. And so we would go to a mall, and um, we weren't allowed any sticks or pucks. We would throw a Nerf football around. So a defenseman behind the net does a breakout, throws it up to the winger, over to So we had to use a Nerf football that year. It was goofy, but what do you do? So that dressing room was the coldest. It's called the Ice Palace for a reason. It was so freaking cold. So maybe a morning skate the day of the game, you get to go in there. And even after the game, you go into the showers. They don't have shower stalls. Like, you know, just nozzles coming out. There was a fire hose. So Chris, let's just say, you know, you're on the team and uh you and I go in the shower together. I would take the fire hose and I would hose you down, and you get the bar soap and you put soap all over you, then I'd rinse you off with the fire hose, and then we'd switch. That's that was the grossest stupid thing I ever saw. So that probably was the worst. And in and, and as far as a pro level in the NHL, I would say the old Boston Gardens. That was a hard place to play in. Um It was like if you ever look at the Muppets and you get them at the theater, it's like they're almost right on top of the actors. And it's the same thing in the old Boston Garden. Like they're not slanted back seats and they go up on an angle, on a slow angle. It's I don't know if I'm explaining myself well. But, man, it's almost straight up. It's like overtoppy. It's unbelievable. And a couple things. So in their dressing room, Oh, I would say guys that have been there longer than me, they said that the shag rug that they had in there, it was dirty, gross, and uh, they didn't have your own stalls. They have wooden chairs, and there's some hooks on the wall that you would hang your suits up on. And I remember the first time I was in there, and I'm thinking, am I going to get athlete's foot just standing on this dirty rug? Because the Bruins... They didn't care about the visiting team. I'm sure their dressing room was the Taj Mahal compared to ours. Like, they didn't care. And so we had just a little cramped and tiny little spot. So not everybody had a spot to put their gear on. They had to stand up. And again, that rug was so dirty, you knew it's never been cleaned. And I remember the first time in there, I'm taking my clothes off and I'm standing there a cockroach ran right over my feet. And I said, Oh my God. So from that point on, every time I went in Boston gardens, I didn't even, I, and I didn't wear socks in my skates. So that's why I had bare feet. So I would stand on that wooden chair and get changed. And I wouldn't put my feet on the rug until I got my skates on. And then I was afraid that cockroaches would get into my equipment bag or in my pants. So I used to hang those things up and, uh, Nothing on the floor. So I would say Boston Gardens, and they used to talk about at nighttime when you turn the lights off in this whole garden that rats used to come out and they would have guards that are paid to shine lights and shoot these rats with pellet guns. And, uh, like it, it was in my mind that was, that was a scary arena to, ch- to change in, that's for sure. So that's, that's the first one that comes to my mind when I think about the poor dressing rooms.
1: Well, that uh, made me think of a question for you, because nowadays there's like 10 levels of security to get into a dressing room uh, at the NHL level. Back when you played, was it pretty easy for fans to, to sneak in if they wanted to, or was there still a, a lot of security?
0: Well, you're right, Chris. It's n- you can't even compare today's security versus when we played. I don't think there's many guys that would try to, you know, to get into the the dressing rooms. I don't recall. I know we had our hotel rooms broken into. Um, Guys would get pass keys and then they would crawl at nighttime on the floor and reach up and steal some rings, uh, some hockey rings. They would steal your wallets and then crawl out again. So, you know. We've learned that when we, and I tell the wife and even my kids that when you go on the road, as soon as you get in your room, you put your latch on automatically and your deadbolt every time. And like Gordy Howe told me, he said, you know, always put the do not disturb sign on, even if you're in the room and always leave your TV on when you uh, are vacant from the room. So I've never had that problem. Uh, maybe maybe because I'm listening to Gordie. I, I don't know.
1: I just thought that you played with Gila Fleur, for example, and there must be fans that would want to try and meet him and get into the dressing room to see him, but that never happened ever.
0: No, we didn't. No, fans, there was there was somebody always standing, especially Montreal, just right outside the door. So you had to sneak by quite a few people, but where they didn't really, you know, well, we took a lot of charters, so just because you had mentioned the he he... The only thing that would happen with him, Gordy Howe, is your equipment bag has your number on the outside of it, and your stick bags. And so when we travel by plane so often, that somebody would get into our sweaters and steal the Fleur's sweater. You know, these are the, the the people, the baggage people. You know, not all of them are crooks, but there were some out there that would always oh, steal the jerseys, and you try to lock in it, and they cut the locks off. And so they had to, you know, think outside the box in order to make sure their sweaters get there. So they had other ways of getting them there. But no, we did, we never had anybody get into the dressing room. And well, there was one time, but it was, uh, it's probably a story I shouldn't talk about, but there was one time when some pretty shady guys come in our dressing room and grabbed our coach and hauled him out of there and... Maybe, maybe one day I'll reveal that story about it. So only, that's about the only time I saw some shady people come in in our dressing room, not to see the players, but they, they wanted the coach for some reasons I shouldn't talk about.
1: Right. Okay, well, something you should talk about is you can make your predictions who you think will win the cup, what teams you think will do good. Maybe if there's some teams you think won't, this won't be their year, maybe is there a player you think will stand out?
0: My predictions, as I was trying to say earlier, you know, when you live in Canada, the Canadians, they always say, well, what team do you think is going to go the farthest, you know, representing Canada towards winning the Stanley Cup? And most, quite often, you know, there's only one or two teams that even make the playoffs from Canada. They haven't had a good track record lately. As much as I think the Oilers are going to be in the playoffs this year, in my humble opinion, I think they're still a player or two away, um, and the goalies have got to prove themselves. They're going to be the cup contenders, in my opinion. i got to believe, on paper, Toronto Maple Leafs, they've got the firepower if they're goalie Anderson stopping pucks, right? I think those are the obvious ones. And uh, some people have told me that Montreal Canadiens have a really – new and improved team. So, you know, I gotta believe it's gonna be a team out east, whether it's Toronto or Montreal that'll go the farthest representing Canada. I don't see them winning the Stanley Cup. And to win the Stanley Cup, well I'm gonna say Tampa Bay again. Like I don't know why, but I just I just gotta believe that these guys got enough pride, they got enough talent there. And obviously, after the next 10, 15, 20 games, you're going to see how things shape up. So if they're sitting in third or fourth place, then I might have to change my opinion a little later. But as of right now, I'm sticking with Tampa
1: Bay. And three teams that you played for, Montreal, Edmonton, and Rangers, do you think they make the playoffs or don't?
0: I think all three of those teams will make the playoffs. Uh, I, I truly do. I watched the Rangers play the other night. You know, they lost to... To Winnipeg, I watched that game. They were up 4-zip and they lost 5-4. You know, sometimes when that happens to you, I don't know, it's too early to say it's a wake-up call, but you start saying, you know what, we had this game and you got to focus a little bit better. And So I I just think that there was something to learn for the Rangers in that 5-4 loss to the Jets. So, you know, I haven't even talked about Winnipeg. Winnipeg's got a good team. But they also lost three defensemen that I believe is going to hurt them this season. So, anyways, so I think the three teams that I played for, I truly believe they'll all make the playoffs this sure. year. Okay, well, we shall see.
1: And uh, let us know if you agree with Dad's predictions or not. And again, thank you for all your reviews. Send us emails, view from the penalty box at gmail.com, and uh, connect with Dad on social media. So, until next time, I'm
0: Chris. And I'm Cam, and thank you very much.